Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of Deeper Still, the women's ministry podcast of Christ Church of Oak Brook. My name is Sue Ann Camfield. I serve on staff here at the church and have the privilege of being the host of Deeper Still, where we fight through the chaotic and the mundane of our everyday lives, and we pay attention to what God is doing in and around us as he calls us into a deeper relationship with himself and with one another. And friends, today we are going to do just that. We are going to take a deep dive into an issue that requires some significant paying attention to, and that is the issue of sexual exploitation and human trafficking. Did you know, a couple facts to share with you today, did you know that in our world today, there are an estimated 24.9 million people trapped in the form of modern day slavery that we call human trafficking? According to the Department of Health and Human Services, human trafficking happens in every state in the United States of America, and half of all victims are under the age of 18, and most of those victims are women and girls. One in six children reported missing in the United States are likely victims of sex trafficking, and Chicago is fifth on the list of high-risk population when it comes to this issue. Friends, just take a deep breath and let that soak in for a minute because we have our work cut out for us today in this conversation. I am honored to have in the studio with me today, Cassandra Ma, the founder and executive director of Reclaim 13, an organization dedicated to reclaiming and restoring young lives who have been victims of trafficking and exploitation by being committed to its mission to end the cycle of exploitation. Cassandra is going to be our wise and gracious guide through this conversation today as we learn more about this issue the good work that is being done to end this atrocity through Reclaim 13 and what you can do to help. So friends, sit back, enjoy a cup of coffee or a good walk wherever you find yourself today. Just settle in, ask God to give you eyes to see and ears to hear as Cassandra and I go deeper still. Well, welcome Cassandra to the Deeper Still studio. It is such a privilege to have you here today. I am so honored to be here. Thank you. Well, I confess I have more questions and more things I want to talk to you about than we will have time to cover. I imagine that's not uncommon when people start to learn about some of the things that we're going to talk about today and just hear your story. I've heard pieces of both of those things. I have been to benefits of Reclaim 13. I have heard you speak and share your story. And um I don't want to say I'm excited about the time that we're going to have today, but I am excited because I want people to hear your story. So Cassandra, you are a trained clinical psychologist. You worked at uh, the Family Institute at Northwestern University. You were teaching marriage and family therapy to graduate students. You had a clinical practice. You were actually working with survivors of sexual abuse and trauma. You were doing really important things. And then one night you went to an event, a fundraising event of International Justice Mission, IJM, and you heard some things that really shook your soul that ultimately would change the trajectory of your life and the lives of women that you serve. Tell us what happened. Yeah, I re- so I, as you said, I, my husband and I went to a fundraising dinner. It was a first that IJM had had in Chicago. And I remember Gary Haugen was there. He's the executive director. And he, he spoke to us. And he had showed us these um, images, told us these stories of these children 
who were in Southeast Asia who were being exploited and trafficked. And one of the stories he told that I remember, um, he told the story of what what they typically do is they go in and they pretend to be um, people who are wanting to purchase children for sex. And these two investigators went in and they went into a brothel and they asked, they said, we want to, we want to meet with, um, we want some young children. And so they brought out a 13 and a 14 year old and they said, no, we, we really want younger. And so they brought out a five and a six year old. And, um, what he said to us at the end of this dinner, so I, I, we heard all these stories during this dinner. What he said at the end of the dinner was, Traffickers tell these children, nobody cares about you. Nobody's coming to rescue you. You're all alone. And um, my heart broke because I, my life story prior to that resonated with the, all of those messages of being alone and being um, not believing that there was any hope. Um, I was abused as a child, and um, that led to a whole subsequent sort of series of further abuses. And... Um, that message of being alone and, and nobody caring and nobody seeing um, was re- very much resonated with my message and, and, and my experience and many children who are presently even being abused and exploited. And um, so I remember when I was a kid, um, one of my few memories, um, I didn't grow up in a Christian home, but I remember um, one day sitting up in the middle of the night and I remember praying to God or just talking to God basically. And I remember asking him, I, I asked the Lord that nobody would no children would be killed or abused that night. Mm. And um, and I, I remember waking up with this this huge hope in my heart. I remember waking up believing. My parents used to watch uh, to, uh, This Morning, Good Morning America, one of those shows. And I remember just waking up in the morning and believing that I would see that the, the, the news, there was a magical thing that had happened that no children would have, had been abused or killed that night. And I don't remember... Honestly, the further, like, I don't remember whether I, I, I saw that on the news, but I just remember believing that in my heart and still believe that today, like, our God is a God who can end this thing in a second. He can, he can do that. And um, so that continues to be the work that we, we do. But um, I, so I went to graduate school as a clinical psychologist after working with kids in a residential facility who had been through every atrocity that children can go through, abuse and um, every sort of family dynamic that can uh, be thrown at a child to, that can make a child struggle and um, wanted to really to help these kids but didn't feel like I had the tools to do that and so decided to go to graduate school to become a clinical psychologist. Mm-hmm. Um, thought my path would take me back to those kids, which is what I had wanted, but the Lord took me in a different way and so I ended up staying, I did my internship fellowship and I ended up staying at Northwestern and um, became a, a t- person who taught the graduate students in marriage and family therapy um, supervisor clinical work. I got to have my own cl- clinical practice as well. And I love that work. It felt very meaningful. And then went to this dinner. And um, I remember the following day going to work. And I remember looking at the clock. And this is in Evanston. And I remember thinking about, I was looking at the clock. And I remember it was 9 o'clock in Evanston. I remember thinking, it's 9 o'clock here in Evanston, 9 a.m. And it's 9 p.m. where I just heard about these kids going through these atrocities. And all of a sudden, you know, nothing made sense. I, I thought these children are about to start a night of hell and I'm sitting here in this meeting and it just didn't make sense. It was one of those God moments that since when God grips your heart and he mm-hmm. just says, this is this is not where you're supposed to be. And so I ended up, um, I finished up my year. I, I um, would go, I would ask my friends, where are these kids that run away because these are the most vulnerable kids? And I remember taking my car down to, down to the city, going driving up and down, looking at train stations for kids who were 
um, vulnerable because I figured, as I still think today, God has a GPS on all these kids. He can just give us the coordinates, mm-hmm. tell me where they are, we'll go and get them. And um, so they can be found by the good people and not by the bad people or the people who are going to do bad things. And so um, learned after that that that's actually illegal. <laughs> that you actually can't pick up kids that's harboring a fugitive. So, <laughs> so, so that, that, even you know, if it's for a good reason, that doesn't, no reason. one cares. <laughs> so um, figure that there's got to be a, a different way. So, um, so learned that. Uh, to start a nonprofit, which is really wasn't ever the the goal, really was to be able to find these kids. But um, reached out to uh, three friends of mine, and because you need three people on a board, and started out <laughs> started what was Compassionate Communities for Children. Um, actually, Rick and Carol Gleiman were oh, two of yes, our four, yeah. Yes. I would say this is how women do things. We're like, <laughs> I don't know, I, God's doing something in my life. I'm going to find a few of my friends. And I'm just going to start doing it. That's exactly, I love we it. did. <laughs> and uh, and then just literally God brought everybody. God brought, you know, we, we were talking with somebody and about one thing, and one of the attorneys in the room said, oh, I'd like to be on your board. He became our first lawyer, general counsel. Um, God brought all these things together to pull it all together so that, um, uh, you know, there are just so many God stories involved in this. But basically, um, God um, pulled everything together so that after – uh, we became Reclaim 13 um, after about a year because Compassionate Communities for Children, well, um, it's a name that I loved because it's dear in my heart. Um, n- zero people other than me love that name. It's too long. It's, you know, things like that. Um, but became Reclaim 13 uh, with the goal of helping to reclaim these the lives of these precious children. Yeah. Can you share why Reclaim 13? So 13, when we first started, was... Um, reported to be the average age that children are first inducted into trafficking. Since then, there's been some controversy about that, but what we have found in our experiences and why it's so still important is that um, all the kids that we've worked with over these last almost 10 years were either 13 or younger when they were first exploited. And those kids that were that little handful that were not 13 were 14, 15. So we're talking about very young children. These are like, you know, grade school, junior high kids or younger that are being exploited. Mm-hmm. Now, most people, they hear that and they think, oh, that happens far away. Mm-hmm. And I know this is one of the, the, probably the biggest misconceptions or maybe one of the biggest questions you get asked because people think, well, that happens in other countries, that happens in inner cities, that happens in the bad places. Um, and that's mm-hmm. not actually true. Explain to us a little bit about um where, where, and how? How does this happen? Because I'm sitting here listening to you, thinking, but I know that it happens in our neighborhoods. I know that it happens in places we might not expect it. And then in the back of my mind, I say, but how does it happen? And what does that look like? Yeah. So the most common way that children are drawn into this, and the term that we use is grooming. The most common ways that predators, traffickers groom children kind of pull them into this is through developing of a relationship Mm -hmm. and the most common type of relationship is a boyfriend type of relationship where he um, typically it's a he but it could be a she offers something to the child that the child needs or wants it could be love it could be um, you're so beautiful and for to a child who's never felt beautiful um, it could be um, I'm offering you shelter for a child who's running away from home it could be something something that helps to the child to feel that this person is somebody who's helping them. Mm-hmm. 
And so it is true that many of our kids are kids who are running away from home. One of the first kids that we worked with, she was, um, she told me that she was nine when she was a lockout kid, which basically means at the age of nine, she was on our streets looking for like no means of getting help any in any way, getting a job, getting food. And so when someone comes along and offered her McDonald's, he became her savior mm-hmm. and subsequently shelter. And then it turns into the abuse and the trafficking. Mm-hmm. And um, I think part of what I've learned and I think part of what you learned early in your journey is that a lot of um, young women who are trafficked, they have a history of sexual abuse before that they get to that point. Talk a little bit more about that. Yeah. So um, there was a book that was written about somebody's trafficking experience, Rachel Lloyd, and she talks about the fact that sex, sexual abuse is a training ground for sex trafficking. And um, what we try to help people understand is if you can think about sexual abuse from, from the messages that it communicates to a child, it communicates to a child, first of all, that this is what adult and child relationships mm-hmm. consist of. So it makes it normalizes something that should not be normalized. But so in the mind of the child, when you talk about sex trafficking and you're talking about people paying money for something that's already been happening to that child's life, um, it's really not that far a stretch. In fact, one of the things that that's um, perhaps surprising in, in working with these kids is the sex trafficking itself is not the most traumatic experience oftentimes for these kids and not the experience that they really want to talk about mostly. They really, the early, the trauma that they want to talk about is the fact that their parents um, abandoned them when they were younger or their mom died when they were young and I didn't didn't have a mom or the fact that I was bullied in school. Like Those earlier life experiences that set the ground for how this child learn what was normal in life and what to expect out of life and out out of adults who are around them who are supposed to protect them are really those that are more traumatic for these children. Mm. That's shocking, actually, and surprising to even hear. Mm. So when Reclaim 13 says their mission is to end the cycle of exploitation, is that part of the cycle? Or what do you mean by that? Yeah. The cycle of sexual exploitation is that it starts with child sexual abuse. It leads to almost 100% of our kids, if I, can th- I can't even think of one exception, but at least 99% of our kids were sexually abused prior to sexual exploitation and trafficking. So um, the cycle then continues to um, further victimization, whether it's abuse or exploitation or trafficking. And then um, if, if, Un, if unintervened in, that's not, not really a word, but <laughs> if uh, if nobody helps, then that, that individual becomes vulnerable to a whole series of other things that we know are correlated with early childhood abuse, which consists of intimate partner violence, domestic violence, mm-hmm. um, relational criminal involvement, so getting involved with the wrong person who, who takes you along on that crime spree, um, further victimization. And so there's just a whole series. And then you... you if you become a parent yourself and you are not you've never had any sort of healing from the experiences early on then then you're 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 parenting from a traumatized framework mm. so these are the series the generational patterns that we're hoping to intervene in and break wow wow it's it it goes beyond just the act of what happens there's so many layers and so much complexity 
of what you're dealing with, which is why you're a clinical psychologist that that knows um, how to walk people through this journey of hope and of healing, because th- those are no small things that these victims and and I think it's really important to say victims yeah. because. Um, you know, we could have misconceptions from the outside of, well, why didn't they get out? Or why did, why would they ever go in the first place? But you're bringing up a whole bigger narrative that I think we need to pay attention to. So let's talk about Reclaim 13 and how, how you do this and how this process works, because you you are committed to ending this cycle and to providing safe and loving places for victims to come and find hope and healing and restoration. And, and you say um, that you, you have a holistic model and it includes three things. You have prevention, you offer healing, and you do community engagement. So uh, let's talk about a little bit about each of these things. And let's, let's start with prevention. Yeah. So our goal is to be able to end if we are ever to get ahead of this problem, prevention is the key, as with most most problems. To be able to prevent a problem occurring in an individual's life, whatever the problem is, trafficking or another problem, is, is, is truly the best thing. So we are very intentional about going into schools, youth groups, any place where we can address children and talk with children about the things that we need to to help keep them safe and, and their families in particular. So we have a we have a sort of a multi-pronged prevention approach, which includes going into schools. We also have a prevention video and a curriculum that goes along with that. Um, and our newest thing is a Bible study that goes along with that mm-hmm. prevention video that can create a dialogue between parents and children or teachers and children to be able to help them talk, open up conversations that are not very comfortable, like have, have you ever, do you know what child abuse is? Things like that. Um, to be able to help create a dialogue because I, we, we really believe that the best way to insulate children from this is to have these, uh, have a healthy p- adult in their life mm-hmm. to be able to talk with about these difficult life things. Yeah. How do you deal with the, or what is the balance between prevention and fear, awareness and fear? Because sometimes I read some of this, I, I watch some of the videos and I think, oh my gosh, I'm never letting my children leave the house. (laughs) And so what, what, and I know we have a lot of moms out there listening. What can you tell them? (laughs) That's a great question (laughs) because I had to struggle with that too. And and also even the question of how do I tell my children what I do? And um, so I'll kind of wrap this up in the two different things uh, that I said to my children when they were younger um, as to what human trafficking is. What I told my children, and this is kind of, will kind of help you understand their approach. Um, what I told my children was that I said most pe- adults in this world love children and they want to care for them and protect them and, you know, cuddle them. And I said there's a small, only a small few individuals, though, that don't love children. And those adults make children do things with their bodies that they don't want to do. And that, for my children, was, I think, a very simple way. And it's for the general public, it's a very simple way to understand what human trafficking is when we're talking about labor and sex trafficking. Mm-hmm. It's adults making children, in most cases, or an individual, do something with their bodies that they don't want to do. And it, for me, was the safest way I could think of to tell my kids and to tell all of our kids what, what we're talking about when we're talking about exploitation that um, that no adult should be able to do that. And if that's something that's happening to you, then that's something that you need. I want you to let me know about, mm-hmm. you know, if it's if it's your daughter, do- if it's your child, I want you to let me know about that. That's the, the best, 
the best tool we have as parents is to help our children understand that this does not represent the, the large public and you don't need to be afraid of it. But if it ever happens, you just need to, you just need to know I'm going to be here for you and I'm going to protect you and I'm going to help you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because when, when we are silent about any issue, right, that's where it can grow. It can fester. You have secrecy, you have silence, you have judgment, you have shame And I know that's something also that you uh, walk your victims through, that that's often one of the biggest things that they deal with. And so there's two parts of that is one is just letting our children know, um, you know, you can talk about these things. You need to tell somebody. But I know that's also part of the counseling and the healing that you do with the victims is um, to help them through that process. So talk about some of the healing that happens and what you do. So there's the prevention piece, there's an intervention piece. So what do you do um, to help some of these victims on the path to healing? Yeah, it's a great question. Thank you. So we have three different healing programs. We have um, we have our mentor program, which works with any survivor of childhood sexual abuse or exploitation. And that's children, adults, boys, girls, men, women. Um, and to be able to heal them, have mentors to walk alongside their journeys and help them and support them. And our goal is to be able to eventually include therapy as, as a component of our mentor program as well. But um, our first, at first, and, and the goal that's dearest to our heart at the very beginning was to be able to open up a home for these children, the children who are being trafficked, who don't have a safe place to go to. And that was, we were able to do that completely by a God, a God move of um, different people's hearts to give. In fact, Christchurch was a, was a super incredible, um, a group of brothers and sisters who put together a shower to be able to help us furnish and decorate Cherish House. So, um, but Cherish House is our safe house for children who have been trafficked between the ages of 10 and 17. Mm-hmm. So they're very young children. The um, the 10-year-old that we had so far, we, we have had one 10-year-old um, was trafficked as a 9-year-old and so um, had just been trafficked and been taken out of that situation. But these are very young children who we provide individual therapy, group therapies, um, life skills training. We homeschool educate them within the home. We have a relationship with a hospital that provides in-house pediatric care. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is very holistic. We have mentors that are involved with each of those kids' lives mm-hmm. and just an incredibly trained staff and people who come in and do tutoring and all sorts of things that really show these children that there are adults. You know, as we talked about earlier, there are adults who really love and care for them mm-hmm. through no earthly gain. And is it true that Cherish House is the only house like this in the state of Illinois? Yeah. Cherish House is the only home in Illinois that serves these children. Wow. What an amazing... I mean, I just want to step back and think about that. Do you ever step back and think, I can't believe I went from sitting at that dinner to having the only house in the state that is doing what I'm doing? How do you process that? There is not one thing that we have done that is not abundantly clear that God was at the forefront of that. One of our core values is that we strive to be Christ-led. And it's, it's you know, in church culture, we, we say that so many times it can become somewhat trite, but um, there is there's no, um, there's just no way to account for that by human standards, by anything that I or any, any member of our team have done. There is, God entirely deserves a credit. If, I mean, I could... If we had more time, I would tell you all the God stories. We call them God stories, but 
Because they're never these like nice short stories you can kind of just <laughs> throw out there. They're just, like these random like third person connection, and uh, it's just an incredible thing to have seen what God did. Wow. Well, and it's like there's two layers to your story. It's like we need one podcast to talk about what it looks like to have a calling, to have a vision, to have God move you in a way and break your heart that you are willing to give up everything you knew before and to step into a new place and say, I don't know what this is going to look like, but I'm going to trust that God is leading us and then watch him show up and do amazing things. I mean, that's a story that people need to hear in and of itself. And then you have the this other piece of the story where you're, what you're doing is actually bringing life and joy and hope and new life to people, to women, to children who desperately need it. I mean, I, I'm just sitting here like with goosebumps all over and just praising God for um, just what an amazing story of inspiration and courage and faithfulness from our God on what he has done. We truly believe that God is allowing, um, because he never brings anything bad into to our world, but truly allowing human trafficking. It happens to be sort of, you know, something that people are hearing about more. It's existed since the beginning of time. Joseph was one of the first people, human trafficking survivors, you know, is the labor trafficking. And so this is not a new problem, but it is a problem that has a different name and it happens to be more forefront in the news. Mm-hmm. But, um, but we believe that God is God is allowing this to come to in such amazing and well not amazing I should say such um, staggering growth mm-hmm. of this industry because He is rising up and He is going to flip this around as only God can do to change this and end this once and for all. Wow, why is it growing? So, um, one of the examples that I heard or metaphors that I heard from law enforcement that I thought makes helps us understand this is because. Um, so the latest statistic that we have is that human trafficking worldwide gains upwards of $150 billion in profitability for traffickers, so people doing illegal things to human beings. And um, it has grown. Um, when we first started and we first started talking about this, it was at $32 billion. So within a five-year period of time, we're, we're talking about an exponential five-time growth in terms of profitability. And then the numbers of, of victims are grow, have grown just as just as um, dramatically. But the reason why um, it is so much easier to do than, for example, drug trafficking, which is the number one crime, um, is because drug trafficking. If you have a product, you have to you distribute out your drugs. Um, you can sell it out, but then you have to procure more. Whereas when it comes to, and I I I, I want to be careful because it's 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 a horrible way to look at human beings but when it comes to the selling of the product of a human being the life of the and the body of that human being the way in the mind of the traffickers this is something that I can sell again and again and again and again and gain a ton of money and profitability with a very low likelihood of getting prosecuted because it is very difficult to get these victims to want to um, testify against their traffickers sure yeah it's just, that's just mind-blowing. It's staggering to kind of get your mind around that people can treat a human body, God's beautiful human body, children, um, that they can be treated like that. Unbelievable. It's just evil beyond evil. Yeah. yeah. So here's what I'm still trying to get my mind around. So paint me a picture of, we're out here in the western suburbs of Chicago, and I'm I'm just trying to understand, even through everything you said, how this, like, 
what is, how does it happen? What does it look like? And then how, where do you come in the process where you can, I know you partner with law enforcement and, and all kinds of different agencies to then rescue these girls. Mm-hmm. Walk us through that because I, I just can't quite get my head around it. So um, one of our girls, um, right, right around this area, um, I started with her actually as a therapist. And so um, I'll, I'll kind of change some of the variables of it. But basically, um, a very common tactic is to, again, use their, the child's vulnerabilities against her. So a, a very popular way, a very easy way that children get drawn into this is through social media. So she meets somebody through social media, um, one of these social media sites or a chat room in this particular case, um, a person who tells her that she's beautiful, you know, you're everything that an insecure, which feels like every single teenage girl um, wants to hear, you're beautiful, you could be a model, all these things that feed her, her desire to feel good about herself and drew her into a relationship um, pretends to understand why she's having so many problems with her parents because of course you know every teenager goes through those phases and um and but but they what they do is they pull apart the parent-child relationship and um asks her to send him a picture she sends a picture which is very common unfortunately um and then it turns into a more illicit and explicit picture and then he says well if you don't if you don't uh do X and so perform this type of video, then I'm going to show this picture to your parents. I'm going to splash it all over social media. I'm going to tell everybody. Um, and then she feels terrified because she can't do anything about, she, she feels like she's, her life is ruined if this gets out. And so she complies with the request and then it, it gets, just gets further and further. And he basically has something to draw her into that relationship where then she's feels compelled to do further things. Mm-hmm. And then what happens? So as that relationship develops, mm-hmm. um, what happens and how, how, how do you get a point to a point of rescue? Yeah. So part of what happens, um, we call this a trauma attachment relationship. And it's a trauma attachment course or relationship in which it starts out very nice. He offers her, again, it could be things just like making her feel good about herself. In some cases, it's shelter. In some cases, it's... Um, clothing or or think possession she couldn't ordinarily afford and um then it turns into the situation where he's asking this of her so um you know if you if you want to live with me if we're we're, we're going to run away and get away from that situation if you don't if you do this one thing for me then we can make enough money and then we can get our own place type of thing so what does it take to get them out of that is is it um someone noticing is it someone being arrested what happens yeah that's a great question and it's a very there's not a simple answer to that but the um because what happens in the relationship is oftentimes what's misunderstood about this is that oftentimes the victim gets something back and it could be like what 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 she's getting back like manicure or or new clothing, or it could be that she's getting actually some of the money that she's getting from these calls. And so what happens though in the child's mind is a child feels like she has become part of what is really her own victimization. And so she doesn't feel like she can make an outcry for help because she's already done something bad, if you will. Mm -hmm. And so, and traffickers, of course, use that against the child, but in the child's mind, she can't understand that. And so that, that creates this, this sort of willing victim. 
um, or there's threats against family. I'm going to hurt your family if you don't do this. Usually that's not always the case. But so the simple answer is, and God's, in, in my mind, um, God's answers are always simpler, but um, is truly that these children have had seen a distorted and wrong view of what adult-child relationships look like. And so the healing antidote to that is they need to see the healing side of an adult relation, adult-child relationship. God's love, we, we talk about this as, you know, First John four eighteen. God's love is greater than fear. Yes. Yeah, I was actually just going to put us into that because I think we need to be reminded of that because this is scary stuff we're talking about. And it's really easy. I can feel it even as I'm listening to you to fear settling into, um, you know, that hopelessness. And some of that's good because it calls us to action that we need to do something. But yet we always want to remember that God's love can redeem anything and restore anything. There is no place too dark that he can't go. And so we don't want to remain in this place of fear. Um, just like you don't want the women that you serve to remain in a place of fear. And so they come to Cherish House, they encounter some of these amazing adults that just love them and start rewriting their stories. Tell us some stories of hope. Tell us some stories yeah. that that are ending well, yes. because there is redemption in this. Oh, there is so much. There is so much redemption. So one of the stories that comes to mind, um, and her story is a little unusual because she was actually trafficked by a parent, a foster parent. Um, who she ran to because she um, knew the person and thought that person would help her for a full year was groomed by this person and then it and then asked to do things that she didn't want to do but had to do to to stay there and and continue to have the love of a parent that she had always wanted. Um, but she tells she told me that before she was rescued and she was rescued she was recovered in a sting that FBI does nationwide for ch- looking for children. But um, she had just been taken to another state on, on a plane what, for what she thought was going to be a her birthday celebration. Mm-hmm. Turned out to be um, not. And she had started losing hope. She had, um, she was in, she had been so physically hurt by the damage of the abuse and exploitation um, and was giving up hope. And she told me that um, she was driving along. She was being brought in a car to another call where she was going to have to endure horrific things. And she looked up in the sky and she saw an angel. Mm. And uh, she wasn't particularly, you know, didn't have a faith at that point, but she saw an angel in the sky. And she said three days later, they came busting down the door and they recovered her in, in this sting. And she was brought to Cherish House. And when she first came to Cherish House, she was so frightened. I remember taking, we took her to, um, I think it was Chick-fil-A or some restaurant, something like that. And um, just the simple question of trying to have to choose what she would order for her lunch was super uh, confusing for her because she had never been given those choices. And plus in the bustle and hustle of the whole restaurant environment. So she was overstimulated and it's triggered all of her fears and so she would t- she would really come a common thing was she would come back to the house and she would run and she would run and hide in her house our house is very large hide and seek doesn't go well because it's very very hard to win <laughs> to find these kids but she would run and she would hide and so now now she's been with us over a year and um she is such a um bold um 
a warrior for Christ. Mm-hmm. She loves the Lord. She reads the Bible every day. She tells all the new girls that come in about Jesus. And she um, she knows now that that angel was sent by God to give her hope when she was about to lose hope. Wow. Wow. And you get to have a part of that. You get to watch these stories oh, unfold. It's so incredible. What an amazing thing. I love that um, one of your statements on your website says that Cherish House, and I want to give you an opportunity to talk about Courage House yeah. too, because I know that's a little bit newer, but it says it's a safe and secure place where girls are no longer burdened by fear, which is what we've been talking about, and where they can start to focus on what lies ahead rather than what's in the past. Yeah, I love that. It, what a beautiful vision. What are some of those things that some of those women are focusing on in their future? So this this particular girl and many of our girls, um, we, we place a high emphasis on finishing high school and finishing their school. And so we have this whole, we're able to homeschool them and offer them a very individualized education plan to help them get, get through their high school um, classes. And um, so this particular kiddo that I just told you about, she's, her vision is now to go on to college. She would like to be able to tell other people her story and tell them that it's going to be okay and tell, explain to them what trafficking is, that it occurs right here in our suburbs. And um, many of our kids want to do that. They want, because of the experiences that they've had, these are not experiences that you would wish upon anybody. Mm-hmm. And yet God tells us that he can create beauty from ashes. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's no, you, to be as, to just see that in these young lives is just such an incredible gift. Yes. Yes. I think for for survivors of any form of abuse or anything, let me just even generalize it to anything that we feel like we've experienced that we feel ashamed about. God's, like you said, God's answer is in, in the light of God's love, nothing needs, we, we need to not feel shame for anything because God is a God who can redeem anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, we say that and we and we truly be, we believe that, I think, but how how much do you really believe that even experiences that these kids have gone through can be redeemed and can be healed and they can they really learn how to see that the shame that they carried for experiences that were not things that they wanted mm. uh, they, that they asked for that they deserved are you know that's the healing power of what adults can give you know sometimes we think well I don't have any skills or you know, anything. And the bottom line is when you pour into somebody who their deepest places where we hide all those things that we're ashamed about and you say, you are still so loved. You are created in the image of the, you know, beautiful God of love. Like there's nothing that, that can't heal in that light. That's right. And I would imagine that you have to remind yourself of that probably daily because you see so much of the darkness. Do you ever get discouraged? their stories and their experiences never discourage me. Um, it's, it's, it can more that, you know, the things that, the, that probably um, bog, like bog me down more are the organizational things. Just mm. <laughs> It's always the paperwork like, and the emails and all yeah. this stuff. Like, see, you were, we were talking about like this whole COVID, like having to create a new COVID policy every week because things are changing that, that bogs me down and weighs me down. But, um, so somebody asked me, how can you be, you know, how can you do therapy? How can you walk with people? And um, and I think that as a Christian, we can walk with people in this, whether, you know, not, whether it's a therapist or a mentor or just a friend, 
we can walk with people through the darkest experience of life because we know that there's hope. We know and we believe that there's hope on the other side. So when they're in the valley places of their experiences and they're processing some of the most horrific things that they've never spoken before, I know that there's hope on the other side. And my role is only just to help them to know and hold on until they can see that. Mm. It's amazing. I love that. Um, what is Courage House? Tell us about that. Um, Courage House. So we were able to open Courage House, and that's another God story. But um, bottom line, we were able to open Courage House. We were awarded a grant that allowed us to open the starting um, for the Courage House. And um, Courage House is a program that serves trafficked girls, young women, 18 to 25. And it helps them learn all the independent living skills that young adults need to be able to live independently. Um, it was. It is designed really to be the next step for our kids out of Cherish House because one of the things that has become clear to us is that many of these kids are, are orphans. When Scripture talks about orphans, these are kids who don't have family to return to, really. Um, and so to be able to provide them a next step in their development it was really important. And then create, we, we, we talk about forever community, so that means beyond that as well. Do you see them going on to get married, to have children? I hope so. Is that so. part of it? Mm. We have, you know, we, our kids are just getting to the point where our cherished house kids, where they're they're able to, they're kind of just over 18, so they can kind of start telling their stories. But yeah, absolutely. All the wonderful things that we want for all of our children. Yes. So Cassandra, you mentioned earlier, and I just can't let this go. You said you've had some crazy God stories. And so I don't care if they're long. I don't care. <laughs> uh, we share, share something with us. Will you share one? Yeah. I, so, um, well, I'll share, first of all, the, the story that um, one of my weird God stories first. But um, There are no weird God stories, You're right. right you're okay. right. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. But we can call it that. I love it. Weird God story. Um, so I shared with you earlier that the uh, I woke up in the middle of the night, and, and I prayed that prayer when I was little. And then another time that the Lord woke me up um, in the middle of the night, he, he told me, and this was before I had went, I went to that IGM dinner, but he asked me to go downstairs. He wanted me to, he said, go downstairs into the darkness. And I, and uh, in my head, I saw myself going down to the bottom of the stairs and there were these demons swirling. And I, I said, no. And, um, I'll just cut to the chase. But basically he said, I want you to go downstairs into the darkness. And, um, I saw that image again and I said, no. And I, I wish I, and I repented of this since I wish I could have said that at the third time, you know, I said, yes, Lord, but I didn't. Um, but the fourth time when he said it, I said, why? And he, he showed me an image and the image was of this cave. And there are these children at the back of the cave. And he said, I'm calling you to go down and face the darkness because you, I'm calling you to go in to get up, bring others out. And I understood that later to be that, that, the going into the darkness was the darkness of my past and what I had never faced before that. And that sort of led into this whole journey of healing for me to be able to look at the things that I never was able to look at before. And it's true that um, God can use, and this is my encouragement and, and truly what I hope will many people will hear because we know that the statistics of women who have been encountered unwanted sexual contact is one in four. Mm. Um, depending upon how you define sexual abuse, you know, the statistics may be different, but we know that there are many women who are probably listening to this who have had experiences 
that they've never talked about or never for a variety of different reasons that that God wants to heal. He wants to go into those places and show you that it's okay that you can heal from them. And so that was one of the mm-hmm. one of the God stories. Mm. If there is someone listening who finds themselves in that place, what would you encourage them to do? So it's really scary. It's one of the um, trauma symptoms is that we try, we try to avoid those things. Mm-hmm. We don't want to, you know, we want to pretend like we're past them. But um, there is such profound, um, there's such a profound gift that God gives you when you, when you're able to look at something and realize that you can, that God can heal you from those, from all anything. Um, and I would say to you that I'm at a place in my life where I actually thank God for what I went through because mm-hmm. it has given me the opportunity to be sensitive to the fact that this pain does exist in the world. And there is nothing that God cannot, you know, that that we talked about that scripture earlier about beauty from ashes. Like there is nothing that God cannot transform all that was meant for evil into good. And so there is no experience that you have had, whether it's experience of victimization or even if it's something that you did, that you that that the enemy is able to keep you in bondage around regret that you did that. There is nothing there is, you know, there's just nothing. I, I, my heart is so strong for this, for you to hear this. There is nothing that God cannot heal and God cannot redeem and God cannot make into a more beautiful narrative for your life going forward if you allow him to do that. And you are a living testimony of that, which I think is what makes your your story so powerful is because you're not talking from a place of, oh yeah, God can do that and telling someone else, but you've seen it, God do it in you. Yeah. And so thank you for sharing that. Thank you for not letting that slip by. Thank you for sharing that because I have no doubt there are women out there who need to be reminded of that truth and that message. I'm reminded of uh, Second Peter, how God calls us out of the darkness into his glorious, glorious light. light. And that's what I just have this picture of him doing. That's what he does. He calls us out of darkness into his glorious light. We just have to come out and let him shine on us that's and right. lavish us, right? That's right? Light us up. That's right. Um, because he, he changes lives. That's who he is and that's what he does. Yeah. I was reading your website. I love this statement that you have because, of course, we want people to know how they can get involved, what they can do. And you say, we believe that every individual has the ability to make a difference in the fight for justice. Because we can sit here and listen and go, oh, I can't do anything. What? I'm not a psychologist. I'm not this. I can't. It's such a big issue with big numbers. I can't do anything, but you say that sometimes it's just a matter of finding your role. Sometimes it's a matter of getting equipped. I will add in, sometimes it's a matter of just following what the Holy Spirit is doing in your soul and taking just one step (laughs) in that direction. That's absolutely right. I love the story of Joshua where it talks about it wasn't until they took that faith step that the waters parted. And that that is what the God that we serve. And so for, for all of us, if God calls you to this, if you if you feel a little tugging in your heart, God will equip you. It doesn't. It really, really doesn't matter. And I I say that because I share. Um, if I can just share this really briefly, I yes, share please. this with our volunteers all the time because I want people. Because people sometimes say, "Oh, well, you're a therapist, and so of course you blah blah blah." And the truth of the matter is, when I went, I heard I went to that dinner I told you about, and I I went to. Um, Every anti, I googled anti-trafficking organizations. I I wanted to do something. Um, it wasn't go, I, going to IGM and interning with them wasn't a possibility because my kids were young here in the United States and they only had op- opportunities overseas. But um, 
I Googled every opportunity and I went to every organization and what I encountered was a, was a fair amount of, at that point in time, was a fair amount of anti-Christian um, sentiment. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the other thing that I w- was told a lot was basically every door was closed. I was basically told many times that the best thing that you can do to help us is to fundraise, for, help us fundraise, help us raise funds. And I'm really not very good at that. <laughs> I, I you must be okay at it because <laughs> you've done a, you've done a lot of good stuff. <laughs> um, but so I and I sh- I say that to volunteers because and that's how compassionate communities for children and then reclaim thirteen got started was because there really was no open door for me at that point in time, and it is it is the truth with my life and and my journey when and truth the truth for all of us that. If God calls you to this, God will equip you. You do not need to do anything but take those first steps of faith toward what he's calling you to do. Yes. And you know, there's women out there listening who maybe they're feeling that that pull towards Reclaim 13. Maybe it's something else. Maybe they've been sitting up on their computer at night Googling something and they're going, is this crazy? Why do I keep Googling this thing? Or maybe it's something that just they're considering going back to work or they're considering adopting or I mean it could be a million different things Absolutely. but that's inspiration for for all of those situations absolutely our God is a God of immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine yes. that is the truth of who, the God that we serve he if like like Sue was saying like if he is tugging at your heart you even just think he's tugging at your heart my encouragement would be just just go in that direction and see what God do- God will open up the doors if that's where he wants you to go. That's right. Just take one faithful step. That's all you have to yep. do. So right now we want them to take a faithful step towards Reclaim 13. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's what God is asking everybody to do right now. Um, so if they, uh, how can people get involved? What can they do to support this amazing mission? Yeah, so we, we have, uh, um, as you mentioned, we have a, a lot of different, I was going to say a billion, but not quite that many, but we have a lot of different volunteer opportunities. We are very intentional about finding, um, every helping every volunteer, every person that contacts us find their purpose mm-hmm. in this fight. It really does take, you know, to transform the face of what humanity looks like for children who have been abused and haven't seen that, the beauty of humanity, is truly something that is going to take all of us, mm-hmm. men yeah. and women. Yeah. Can they find that information on your website? Is that the best place to go? Yeah, that's a that's probably a great place. I couldn't okay. even tell you that. <laughs> you're you're busy doing other things. You have volunteer <laughs> coordinators that are helping coordinate people. I know it's on there. I've looked because there's actually a lot of great <laughs> opportunities and um I know this church has supported the the work of Reclaim thirteen. I was just at a mops um meeting our mothers of preschoolers community a couple of weeks ago and they have rallied behind reclaim 13 to collect gift cards and um i watched one of your videos there and just stood like crying as you know all the moms were all just <laughs> you know like said it's, it's crying and it's like lock down your kids and never let them go anywhere kind of reaction but just to see their outpouring of love and support i think women want to empower women um women women want children to have um stories that where they know they're safe, where they're mattered, they, they're valued by God. And so I think, um, ladies, as you're listening, um, I would encourage you, and I, I'll share a few ways at the end, but um, encourage you, go to the website, check it out, um, find a way to support this amazing mission. If God is tugging your heart, just do it. Please just take do. the next step and do it. Please do. Yeah. Cassandra, any last words of just um, anything else you want to share? 
So when we talk about Forever Community, and it really is going to take all of us, but Forever Community is really the vision behind that is creating God's kingdom here on earth. And being a part of creating that, it's going to take more than just all of us. But um, we get to be a part of an incredible larger mission of God's Great Commission to be able to share his his incredible opportunity for eternity with him. And that is really our end goal, if you will, with all the children that we serve to be able to point them to the Savior. And that's something that there's just, I don't know, I, I can't imagine a more incredible experience than being able to see these in the lives of children who have been traumatized mm-hmm. to be able to point them to the fact that their experiences do not represent the best that God has to offer. Mm. I love that because there's a lot, of, a lot of organizations out there doing good work for a lot of good causes, and that's good stuff. Mm-hmm. I, that is good stuff. But to have an organization that takes that good work and then points people to Jesus and says, we are doing this because we believe that you were created, as you said, in the beautiful image of God. And we want to we want to have this forever family in heaven, not just here on earth. And so um, I just so appreciate you. I appreciate you sharing your story. I appreciate the work that Reclaim 13 is doing. And I can't wait to see what God does next because he is clearly writing a story that's just going <laughs> to, God is going to keep using my, you, my friend. I just, I think you're amazing. So thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you. Well, friends, thanks for joining us for this um, really important and significant conversation today. I do hope your heart has been stirred. I hope you've been challenged. I hope you've been encouraged as we've talked about hope and redemption and all those things that God does in the lives of his children. But more importantly, I hope you you took time to pay attention to what God may be saying to you. What's he saying to you in this moment? Allow him to use this story to speak to you and, and wrestle with what, how he might be calling you to take a step towards him as um, we search to find uh, our place and our purpose in this world and being part of his kingdom. So um, if you want to find out more about Reclaim 13 and how you can get involved, Visit the Reclaim 13 website at reclaim13.org. You can also follow them on social media at Reclaim 13. Um, also, if you go to at Christchurch Women on Instagram or Facebook, um, I'm going to post today uh, the Amazon wish list that is on Reclaim 13's website where you can purchase a myriad of items that will directly benefit Cherish House, Cherish House, and Courage House, and other needs of the organization. There's everything from gift cards to markers and games and journals and pens and pencils, and there's something for every budget. And so, um, would love for you to check that out. If this pandemic has taught us anything, it's how to be efficient online shoppers. I know you're good at that. So go use all your bad habits you learned for uh, something good. <laughs> hey, we'll be back in two weeks with a new Deeper Still conversation with author, pastor, radio and podcast host, Aubrey Sampson. And we're going to be talking about her book, The Louder Song, Listening for Hope in the Midst of Lament. So be sure to come back and listen in. But for now, as always, um, be sure to share Deeper Still with your friends. Ask yourself who needs to come along for the journey and be part of this amazing community, and especially who needs to hear the conversation with Cassandra today and learn about this important work of Reclaim 13. So friends, until then, until we see you again, have an amazing day because you are amazing. And don't forget to uh, talk to the Lord today and ask him how he may be calling you to go Deeper Still. Thanks, friends. We'll see you back next time.